0: All right, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement.
1: What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find In a case of lines, head. folks of different minds Because even though it did not share The opinions we share, that American ideal Friends made over arguments In an
0: early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz All right, Brendan. So it's Wednesday evening. We're going to try and sneak this one in pretty quickly. Um, got uh, a big event here in Massachusetts next, uh, next Tuesday. What, uh, what are we talking about this week?
2: Yeah, we got the Boston mayoral election, as you mentioned, coming up just this Tuesday. Um, we had mm-hmm. talked, I think way back in April and laid out that this was a historically diverse field for, for the, in boston in boston's history so boston has only had uh white males as mayors in, in its history and the five major candidates that we laid out back in april were all um candidates of color four of them were women and we said that we were going to track this race as it went along and I guess credit to us coming back around with five or six days left until the election. We are coming back around just as we promised, and we're going to dive in a little more, more deeply to our, our two remaining candidates, Manisa um, Sabi-George and, and Michelle Wu. So uh, that this is, is going to be only a one-issue episode because, as you said, we did want to get this out uh, before the election on the 2nd, and, and we know that a large portion of our listeners live in and around Boston, and uh, that this is particularly relevant to them. So, uh, while as usual, we are aware that there are other issues and we are hopeful to talk about some of those other issues soon. Um, this is just going to be an episode focused on the mayoral race here in Boston.
0: Yeah. For any, uh, procrastinators out there, like, <laughs> like myself who may not have, uh, you know, tried to educate themselves before going to the ballots. Um, I actually will probably mail mine in. So educate myself before filling out my ballot. Um, we're hoping to give a little bit of greater detail on on some of the positions of these two candidates, um, what sets them apart, and you know probably more often than not what makes them similar.
2: Um. Yeah, be- before we get into that, Ricky, I got, I got two things for you. Uh, the first thing I think you know, but well, I'm, I'm going to pause on that thing. The second thing is actually something that we haven't talked about, but. Uh, I personally got a lot of really great feedback from the John Gruden segment discussion that we had last episode, which again, credit to you for deciding that that was a worthwhile podcast topic and a worthwhile conversation to have. And uh, I thought it was like in the moment, I have like, just the one I engaged in, I was like, oh, that was, that was deeper and more worthwhile than I thought, but it, it was nice to hear from some people. People reached out via text and on Instagram. You can, again, you can always go follow us on Instagram at a underscore gentlemen's underscore disagreement. Uh, but a couple of people reached out with some feedback that I thought was interesting that I at least wanted to discuss with you. And as always, we appreciate uh, the feedback and people reaching out. So the first thing that um, one of our friends brought up was that it's interesting that this came from an investigation of the Washington football team. A lot like an investigation that happened over the course of years. It had something insane like. 650,000 emails that might be an underestimate like an insane amount of documents and emails and the only thing that got leaked were John Gruden's emails and it seemed like someone pointed out to me that this was really a hit job on John Gruden but from somewhere right somewhere Washington football team the NFL somewhere someone linked these emails intending to embarrass and hopefully get John Gruden fired and successfully in deservedly so right i'm not sitting here defending john gruden but i think that was an aspect of this that we hadn't discussed that i thought was at least worth bringing up
0: yeah i mean it's it's a it's a great point i think you know we touched on the fact that like john gruden may have sent these emails but there was a a, there was a or several recipients on the other end and clearly um you know a culture that made him feel comfortable that like this kind of things, this this kind of like language and stuff to put in emails is not going to send any red flags. So, I mean, I, I think that's a great thing to point out. And no doubt, like, I don't think this is the last that we're going to hear from that investigation. And certainly it comes as no surprise that, it, you know, it has to do with people involved with the Washington football
2: team. All right. And so that kind of dovetails nicely into the second piece of feedback that we got that I thought was worth talking about was that, when we're talking about the Washington football team like why was why did the NFL have access to these emails in the first place is because they were engaging in their own investigation of the Washington football team and that investigation stemmed from among other things the franchises uh, mistreatment of their cheerleaders over a number of years or a number of allegations against the owner Dan Snyder the one of the chief executives in Bruce Allen and, and kind of like a pervasive sense of misogyny that existed throughout the organization. Um, it was particularly directed at a couple of cheerleaders that come forward and, and um, detailed some you know, pretty bad abuse that they had suffered uh, at the hands of some of these members of people in power to the Washington football team. But there are also kind of other things that came out with just, it was just a bad mm-hmm. culture for a lot of people who worked for the Washington football team, but particularly for women. Um, and so one of our listeners, she pointed out like the double standard here where John Gruden criticizes the commissioner as part of one of his emails, and you know, he's out within days. He's fired everyone. Like, he's canceled. He's out, right? But Dan Snyder, who owns the Washington Redskins, and Bruce Allen, who, who is the recipient of these emails from John Gruden, who are both allegedly uh, you know, misogynistic, who mistreated women for a number of years. There were a number of like specific detailed allegations against them they're pretty much untouched at this point. And uh, our friend was pointing out like the, the the hypocrisy of the NFL coming down like on unruited on for these emails. Again, maybe deservedly so, but then when we have this issue of mistreatment of women, and certainly we've seen this in other cases where our other NFL players have um, abused women in, in different ways and, and then allowed to come back after like four game suspensions. And she was kind of like, that, that was an issue that she felt we had missed that I, I concur that we did, we did miss. We didn't talk about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was a huge oversight. Um, I mean, the, I guess the only hopeful and perhaps it is, uh, is maybe a false sense of hope is that, you know, the main focus of the investigation was, um, the mistreatment of these cheerleaders was basically these, you know, sexual assault and sexual harassment allegations, um, like trying to substantiate them. And the only hope is that the, like, you know, we will see the substantiation and then uh, there will be like a formal result, um, from this investigation. Whereas like these leaked emails were, you know, not really part of a process. It's not like John Gruden was being evaluated here. It's just the emails came out and he was fired like that. Right. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the hope, but that, I mean, it's, it's absolutely, yeah. Shame on us for not talking about it. Um, but it's all, it's also similarly like two sides of the same coin. Like why did this, why can a culture of Misogyny and you know right. sexual harassment and abuse exist, and you know for a lot of the same reasons that that racism can exist at the top. Because as for as few uh, people of color there are, there are fewer women.
2: Right, and I, I do think it goes to one of the criticisms we did have of the NFL last week was that they do the the best thing for their image, right? And as soon as these these emails came out, like John Gruden's the poster boy and we can fire him and again, say that like, look, we're we're doing the right thing. We're moving in the right direction. We're standing up for all of these, uh, you know, minority communities in the NFL. But then some of like the stuff that's a little bit beneath the headlines and not as obvious, they're not taking as much um, like flack in, in the media and public relations beating. They let slide a little bit more, because again, like they don't, they don't feel like they really have to deal with like the systemic issues that we were talking about. So I do think, in that sense, uh, the criticism is is the same that we were levying against the NFL. It was just an area that we didn't address. Definitely. All right. Uh, the second thing that we had to do before we started is to remind everyone that this podcast is brought to you by the hardworking guys over at Cannon Hill Wood. Um, Ricky, the guys at Cannon Hill Woodworking, they wanted to know something. What's that? What's it called? Mm-hmm when one cannon eats another cannon? I don't know. Cannon bullism. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's a good pun on the show. That's for sure.
2: Yes. So uh, just a reminder <laughs> that those guys have been uh, making handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks here in Boston. And uh, we encourage you, if you're in need of a desk or a table, in the coming months to reach out to them and, and let them know that we sent you. Um, without further ado, Let's get into the Boston Mayor race. So just as a recap for everyone, the, mayoral race was always due for this was always going to be election year in the the Boston mayoral race, Uh, but this election was blown wide open when the previous mayor, Marty Walsh, was nominated to be the Secretary of Labor by President Biden uh, back in January. In March, Walsh was confirmed by the Senate, uh, which kind of tough timing, but uh, Kim Janey, who was the uh, president of the Boston City Council, and that's the person that is next in line um, for for the mayoral mayorship um, ascended to and ascended to that position back in March. I say tough timing because obviously the corona you know virus and COVID and the lockdowns, all of that stuff was just beginning in March, and Janie stepped into a, a really difficult position um, as acting mayor. She was the first uh, black person, the first woman woman to hold that position, but while she will go down in, in history books, in that sense, she wasn't elected uh, to be mayor. Uh, so you know, we'll get into like the implications of why this, may, why this race is so historic as we dive into the candidates. But anyway, so what was once considered to be probably Walsh's race to lose obviously was blown wide open at the beginning of this year because everyone knew that Walsh wasn't going to be in the running for another term. And so uh, as I mentioned in our opening, we had five major candidates uh, that we that were in this race throughout throughout um, they were Anissa Sabi George, uh, Andrea Campbell, Kim Janey, the acting mayor, Michelle Wu, and John Barrows, and like I said, it's it's a historic race given the that all five of these candidates were people of color and the four of them were women, um, and then we had so it was it was an interesting race to kind of watch from afar over the summer. In September we had the primary and. At that point, we knew it was kind of three candidates for one spot because the way the Boston primary system works is that it's nonpartisan and that the field is not is narrowed down to two. So the top two vote-getters in the primary move on and become the two candidates on the final ballot. Uh, at that point, John Barrows was clearly in fifth. He ended up getting about 3% of the vote. Uh, Michelle Wu was clearly in first. She ended up with about a third of the vote, I think exactly like 33.3% actually. Then uh, we knew it was Asabi George Campbell and Janie fighting for that second spot, and it was a tight race. Uh, George ended up with about twenty-two percent of the vote, while both Campbell and Janie were in the nineteen percent. So uh, very tight race, but that meant that Asabi George was going to move on and face Michelle Wu in in this this final runoff. Um, so I want to just give a quick background on on those two candidates, uh, if if people don't know or didn't hear that episode back in april so michelle will super young she's born in 1985 she's 36 years old uh she was born in uh in chicago to parents of who were from taiwan she moved to boston to attend harvard undergrad she also graduated from harvard law school no big deal uh and then she ran for she in terms of work experience she served uh worked for uh, senator Elizabeth Warren on her first campaign for for senator. So that probably tells you a little bit about her views, which we'll get into more in a minute. Um, but she ran for city council back in 2013. and was the youngest member elected to the city council. She was only 28 years old. She was the first Taiwanese American to be elected to the city council, the first Asian American woman and only the second Asian American ever uh, elected to the Boston City Council. Uh, so Served in the city council for seven years. So she had been around for a while and on the city council, she, she, among other things, worked to expand the ranks of women, people in color, and young people in, term, in positions of leadership, all communities that she represented. Uh, she worked, fought for uh, paid parental leave, uh, the climate crisis, uh, worked, did some work around transportation and uh, against corporate interests and, about, and against corruption. And so those were kind of the, the main things that she touts is for, from her time on the city council. Our, her candidate is, I mean, her opponent is Anissa Sabi George. Anissa Sabi George, born and raised here in Boston, she went to what's now the O'Brien High School over in Roxbury. Uh, she is also the daughter of immigrants. Her, her father is from Tunisia and her mom was from Poland. Uh, she was a Boston Public Schools teacher in East Boston actually for 13 years. Uh, before she turned to politics, she ran for Boston City Council uh, and was elected back in 2015. Um, she is she, on the Boston City Council. She was the chair of the Committee on Education, um, and she she led fights, uh, among other things, to, to make sure, like, some of the educational systems, like, that there are support specialists in every public school that there are more investments in vocational high schools that there are school safety and security members um, those sorts of things Uh, a couple other fun facts about her she is the owner of stitch house in dorchester which so like a small business in dorchester which is where she lives she also has four children including triplets Um, so that's kind of cool i guess i should mention michelle will had a child while she was in the boston city council as well and she was the first city councilor ever to give birth while sitting on the city council. So uh, they're both historic (laughs) candidates. Either one would be historic mayor here in Boston. And so I want to acknowledge that, but uh, I think it's time to dive into a little bit more of their issues. So let's start big picture, Ricky, as you consider these two candidates, how do you see them as as similar and or different?
0: Uh, Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think we got out of the, the primary back in September, sort of the, the two candidates that you, you might consider furthest apart, right? So Wu on the, the left of the, the furthest left, I think of the, of the five candidates that ran, um, closer to her, probably Janie and Campbell. Um, and then <clears throat> Asaibi George, who is certainly, you know, by any national spectrum is going to be considered a a pretty left-leaning candidate, but in this race is really coming in as kind of the left of center, the person who is like going to take a lot of, in many ways, sort of take the baton from Marty Walsh and continue this, um, sort of the baby steps to progress, I think. I think she actually, in one of the debates, described herself as taking a little bit more than that. And certainly you see some of that in in the policy. But in contrast to what you're going to see from Wu, there is a lot more of like sort of investing further in measures that have already been taken, whereas Wu is really going to be putting forth some policy proposals that are completely different approaches to similar problems so I think as I think about who these candidates are you know Wu is going to be a candidate who's going to push for some more um, drastic changes and um, Asaibi George is going to be sort of furthering the Walsh agenda but more or less at the pace um, that that Walsh was working towards some of these, um, some of the goals. So, you know, the big things I think we'll talk a little bit today about will be housing, um, affordability, housing for homelessness, and sort of some of the issues that we see um, with drug addiction and uh, in that mass and cast area was sort of a hot topic during the debate. Um, certainly education, um, as well as transportation, child care, and, and perhaps police reform. There are yeah, be some yeah. of the areas that I'm looking at.
2: Right. And you and I were talking that it's sometimes I think more difficult for, or I guess I'll say at least from my perspective, for voters to educate themselves on what these candidates can really do, right? Like they're, they're going to pitch these big picture ideas and who's going to pitch herself as this progressive that's going to make, you know, drastic radical change in the line of uh, you know Elizabeth like she'll title the the Warrens and the Marquis and the Presleys and like those kind of endorsements and um, George is going to tell you that she's you know moderate born and raised here in Boston like a, a Mayor Walsh and like endorsed by like Frank Baker and the police union and the teachers like, like those sorts of things and uh, in that sense those are real differences in terms of like big picture they're different people uh, but it's if you're like a voter really looking at like all right what are the policy changes that a mayor can make that might have an impact on me, on us, both of us are city of Boston residents. It's a little bit more difficult to parse out exactly what a mayor can do. And so so I just want to, before we get into the specific policy things that you mentioned, like from my perspective, mayors kind of do two things. One, I think that they're, they provide a vision for the city and for the city's government. And so like, I kind of outlined those two visions where um, who's going to push for some, some, what a lot of people probably consider like pretty radical changes. Like we'll get into some of those, but with around transportation and climate change and those sorts of things. While um, Asabi George is maybe going to push, they're both Democrats. We should say uh, that Asabi George is going to push for maybe some more incremental around the edges, things that, uh, that may be more palatable to a certain certain section of office so like vision wise and like leadership wise and as a figurehead I do think that's one role of mayors and then the other one role is that they run the city's departments and so we're and we're talking about city's departments we're talking about the police the you know our firefighters our you know our school system our like our, our healthcare system infrastructure like transportation like those sorts of things and those are the areas where whether it's through appointments or setting priorities th- those are the areas where I see mayors having like the tangible impact on people and communities like the ones that we live in.
0: Yeah. uh, I think that's, I think that's well said. And I think the the contrast that you drew, you know, maybe if I'm thinking of, you know, speaking to the kind of the broader demographic within Boston, you know, that's already left of center. The question that I think many people will be asking themselves after they sort of, think about these two candidates critically is, you know, have I, am I content with the progress that Boston is making towards um, some of these goals at the pace that it is making them? Or am I really looking for somebody to come in um, and, and shake things up and, you know, you use the, the word radical. And I, I, I think in many ways it, it is appropriate or it would be appropriate if it didn't have a, uh, some type of negative connotation. I think, um, and I, and I, and I, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with people who think that it is negative in a certain sense. Um, but really, yeah, she's the candidate that's going to be potentially doing things that would change the way um, the city, you know, fundamentally operates and will operate, you know, down the, down the road for years to come.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, do you have, what issue you want to start with? Oof.
0: Um, I think, I think, you know, one that I've been really meaning to get your opinion on specifically are the two candidates stances on education as uh, you know, an educator yourself um, thinking about what sorts of changes that you would like to see implemented and which candidate kind of reflects those that vision
2: for you yeah so as i mentioned asabi george was not only a former teacher for a number of years but led chaired the committee on education in on the boston city council so while both candidates have touted their education kind of plans asabi george has definitely made it more of a a focus of her campaign as opposed to who has some other issues that i think are more primary uh for her so in that sense for me not only as a a former current teacher like i i would love to see a teacher in in, you know this position of power because i I do think that she really understands issues facing children and teachers in the city of boston in in a way that would be impossible for any candidate that hasn't kind of spent time in that space to really understand um so i think for me that that's a, a a positive uh obviously like the, there's a number of issues that are facing Boston public schools. And again, I like that Asabi George for her, that it's a, a, a more of a priority and not, I mean, candidates just have to make decisions about the things that they're going to prioritize. Or right? you can't, everything can not be one num- priority, number one. And I totally understand it. So this isn't really even a shot at woo, but I just know that there are a number of issues facing our schools. Uh, Obviously there's been controversy around uh, the Boston exam schools Latin Boston Latin Latin Academy and the O'Brien school about whether or not uh, you know we should be requiring entrance exam tests for those schools for people who don't know uh, the city of Boston is overwhelmingly the students of the city of Boston are overwhelmingly uh, Black and Hispanic, I think close to 70% of them are Black and Hispanic, but uh, Boston Latin in particular pretty much has the inverse ratio. It's about 80% white and Asian. And so, when there's been a big issue in the last couple of years of like, where, where's the fairness in that where our most prestigious elite schools that send kids off to these, these great colleges and futures uh, are being accessed disproportionately by people that like don't represent what most of the city looks like. And so uh, whether or not we should have exams, I think that's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, vocational schools, like I said, uh, uh, and Sabi George has in, like pushed to invest more resources in schools like Ma- Madison park, which is the only vocational school in the city of Boston. Um, and so I guess like I, I'm, I am more familiar with this, Sabi George's educational philosophy and, and her plans that I am with Wu, probably because she's made it more of a focus of her campaign. Um, and so and I guess like I'll just reiterate that part of the reason that I, I like Asabi George is because she's placed such a focus on education.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's it, part of it comes down to like, what do you think the solution is to, or, you know, where is the focus to the solution to like the broader problems? Because, you know, education it is not, in a vacuum from homelessness from drug addiction from uh yeah just in affordability of housing it's inaffordable for people who are you know working minimum wage to lower minimum wage jobs you know where is you know where should we focus our um our energy and i think it yeah. i think it is so important to um to actually yeah to to really also understand you know what do you how do you view the priority in terms of like what is really the root cause of so many of these problems and where you can have you know the biggest bang for your buck from a dollar perspective. I think one of the things you mentioned about the exam school admissions policy, um, which is a, an area of agreement is that both candidates do agree that there should be or you know there should be allowed to be exam schools. Um, but there's a little bit of disagreement I think in the approach. And I think Boston is trying to overhaul, some of the exam admission policies by adding in socioeconomic factors and perhaps race. I, you know, we should, pro- I should probably clarify that, but that is, or, you know, <laughs> fact check myself on that, but I think there is going to be a tweak because of exactly what you mentioned, the premier school in the, in the area of Boston Latin, um, having such a opposite sort of racial makeup um, compared to the city as a whole.
2: Yeah, so whatever. I don't want to get in. Maybe someday we can get into like the debate over these exams. But you know, in in, in thinking about this, I think Asabi George and, and Wu are probably not like super different on education. I think both of them would say that we need to make sure that all children have access to higher quality schools, which we know doesn't is not true right now in Boston, unfortunately. Some kids in, in certain neighborhoods have a plethora of options uh, public schools, uh, parochial schools, uh, private schools. And we know children in other districts their neighborhood school is, is failing and there are not a ton of other options for uh, for parents in, in those neighborhoods and um, that's there's like systemic inequalities in our education system here in Boston but I think both mm-hmm. candidates recognize that mm-hmm. as an issue I think both candidates are saying we should invest in early childhood education making like uh, you know universal pre-k and making sure that we can uh, uh, you know get mm-hmm. interventions in place for kids sooner in, in their schools whether it's you know we're getting uh, Extra academic support or socio socio-emotion, uh, emotional support for kids in, in the younger grades, too, because we know it, it gets as kids get older, it's it harder and harder as they fall behind. And so, I mean, I guess what I was trying to say, probably not very uh, articulately earlier, was that I don't think necessarily their policies are super different. I just think it's just a slightly different priority, higher on the priority list for, for the candidates. Again, I'm not trying to take a shot at rule with that. I'm just saying, as someone that believes that education. Is or should be a, a major priority for any candidate for public office, certainly, specifically uh, for a mayor of Boston. That's why I, I feel more comfortable with Asabi George on education. Um, but again, I think the strategies, the, the policies that they come up with are, would probably not be radically different.
0: Yeah, one interesting thing, and I, I was curious about your take on this, as I understood it, both were really committed to public education as a solution, as opposed to investing maybe equally or, you know, partially in charter schools. I think both were saying that, you know, they see the role of the mayor as advancing public schools. Is that right?
2: It is the role of the mayor because ultimately the mayor has no call whether we have more charter schools or not. Um, Unfortunately, from my perspective, uh, charter schools were on the ballot maybe five years ago in 2016 ish. I might be wrong on that, but we're, we're voted down by, Massachusetts voters it can be changed in the legislature but there's nothing that anybody as the mayor could do to create a new charter school at this point so um, both of them are right like whether or not that they personally believe in the efficacy of charter schools like there's nothing they can do about it so their job is to you know make their resources work as best as possible for the system that we currently have
0: Miss that question actually yeah definitely missed that question in 2016 (laughs) (laughs) shame on me um I think maybe one last point of distinction, even though both are uh sort of advocating for expansion and access to uh to pre-K and other sort of child care services, I think Wu is more along the lines of sort of free pre-K and child care was I think Asaibi George is a little bit more along the how can the city sort of subsidize, subsidize it for those who like particularly need it or need access to it, um, which is, I think, going to be a greater theme of a lot of their policy positions where, you know, if the true left is these things are, should be universal rights, therefore we make them free. You're going to find that in kind of Wu's policy side of the house, whereas a George will probably be, you know, we should make them free for those who need it to be free and kind of allow uh, the markets, if you will, to, to deal with the rest. Um, that may be a decent place to transition to housing um, and housing affordability, which is on the minds of a lot of Bostonians, um, particularly in, you know, over the last, better part of the last decade, we've just seen housing prices in within the city um, explode. And then on top of that, um, or I guess in conjunction with that, the rental market has also started to get, um, you know, up there on par with uh, maybe not quite on par, but I think Boston has consistently ranked in, as like the top, in the top three, top four, most expensive cities um, for housing right behind, you know, New York city and San Francisco with a much smaller population. Um, and so I think, you know, we'll see a little bit uh, again, in contrast, um, in contrasting styles, who has really been a candidate that's pushing forward rent stabilization. Um, whereas Asaibi George's focus is primarily on increasing access for, for sort of city guaranteed funding for folks looking to be first time home buyers within the city. Um, on initial thought, I mean, on an initial take, I'm gonna know more or less where you're leaning. But uh, what are, what are your quick hits on on the two candidates' housing policies?
2: Yeah, this is another area where both candidates and really any candidate, any person living in the city of Boston will say like this is an issue, right? That as you mentioned, the the price for home ownership in Boston has skyrocketed in the last decade and in, in recent years. And, some neighborhoods in particular the cost of rent has gone way up and you know what's the problem with that is that you have people who grew up here in boston uh, that can no longer afford to live here whether they want to rent or as you know as people grow older kids grow up like uh, the ability to own Uh, we know given other systemic inequalities in our society that like disproportionately that's going to affect you know minorities people of color and so you have you know, many minority families that are being forced out of their neighborhoods, whether it's, you know, Hispanic families in East Boston or Black families in Dorchester that no longer can afford to live in in the places. And for the neighborhoods that it hasn't come for yet, we know that it's probably inevitable that it's coming for those neighborhoods too. So again, it's, it's this huge problem. I mean, the issue is really like, I'm not sure that there's a, I mean, I know for a fact, there's no easy way to solve this. And Michelle Wu's you know, pitch for rent control, which was, you know, flat rejected back in 1994. I, and I don't see a huge appetite for bringing it back. I mean, it's currently illegal in Massachusetts. I mean, she, so to be clear, she can't do it herself. Like right? she would need assistance from the state legislature to now, to either make that policy like legal, right, a, a potential tool for mayors or to put it back on the ballot so people could vote for it. So um, Wu was advocating this position. And this is kind of what I said earlier, that she's, the mayor provides a vision And so she can, you know, put this vision out there. And we know that even someone like Bernie Sanders, who kind of can, if you consistently articulate something that at first seems radical, if you keep saying it for years and start to convince people that over time it becomes less radical and more like reasonable to do. Um, So maybe that's her long-term goal, but like if she gets elected next week and is in office in three weeks, like she's not putting in rent control next month. So in that sense, I'm not stressed about it. I just think it's a terrible idea. Uh, I do like it. I just don't, you know, as a believer in the market as we've gone over many times I think that's the opposite of, of letting the market work I think it, it disadvantages people that did purchase homes here in Boston and yeah I'll, I'll be selfish about it like it's it, it it would hurt people like me that invested in the city and now all of a sudden our ability to make a profit on property that we own is, is being capped and to me that's like antithetical to being an American uh, but I mean, of course I agree that's a problem. I just think Asabi George being like, Hey, we need to invest more in um, affordable housing and being able to subsidize it more like to your earlier point of like the degrees of, of like how left we want to go. Like that is, I mean, even I would say Asabi George is probably a little bit more left of like, Hey, let's, let's subsidize more housing, increase the amount that we're giving to people to allow them to rent and own in Boston. Uh, I think that's a left position. And, Wu's of course like further along the spectrum and saying let's let's cap let's cap rent here and so uh, yes I, I'm more in favor of Asabi George's position here but I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if I'm thrilled with either of them but I, again I recognize that, that it's an issue that people are going to have to try to get creative to solve
0: yeah and I, I think your point on you know what is what is Wu's actual um, ability to sort of enact her vision, which, you know, is is kind of a part of her platform, but I think it's it's almost tacitly so in, in order to, you know, continue to burnish out this image of a true progressive candidate in contrast with, um, you know, someone who's more center left, like, this is a way that I can solidify that I, you know, you're voting for me in contrast to this other you know, the, uh, the other candidates and now just aside B George um, in part, I think in the same way that it makes you hesitant, but all, or not hesitant, maybe like, you know, this is a, a deal breaker, but also recognizing that she can't necessarily put this into action. I'm probably on the other side where I'm also kind of grateful that she can't put this into action but the fact that she's willing to throw this out and potentially push forward other types of legislation that may more meaningfully change the situation i'm interested in um, you know alongside you i'm i'm actually pretty anti measures like rent control i think the problem i mean as a you know former econ student 101 those types of Uh, government action price caps really just end up creating inefficiencies in the market. I am a firm believer that the market doesn't solve all problems, but I think the problem here is less that rents are getting too high, but that people who are in the city more or less permanently for life are permanent renters And there's something wrong with that, like renting should be more of a temporary thing. And those prices should reflect what the market sort of allows. And, you know, when we think about what's happening, the impact of or like the idea behind rent control is that maybe we can slow down the pace of gentrification in some of these neighborhoods. Like you said, that were historically Hispanic or historically black and are now being sort of those folks are being priced out. I traditionally don't have a problem with that if they you know, own their houses and were able to sell and make the profit and move into other neighborhoods. I don't think there's any reason to keep people in a specific place just for the sake of keeping them in a neighborhood that was traditionally theirs. I think that, like you said, is not really what the American sort of ideal is all about.
2: Yeah, it, I think that goes to... Like Wu Wu in particular, I think in this sense is addressing like the effect of the problem as opposed to the cause. And so when we think about the cause, you could argue, I might not necessarily, but you could argue that like wages haven't risen high enough for like people uh, like with blue collar jobs or that work um, I don't know kind of like unskilled quote unquote unskilled labor here. So like because you know minimum wage I guess hasn't risen, a lot of these people that are renting are kind of stuck in the cycle where inflation has caused prices to go up and rent to go up, but they haven't, their wages haven't kept pace. And so they're not able to ever get out of the cycle of renting. That could be an argument. So, Hey, if you want to address that, there are other ways to do it. Um, and additionally, going back to education, while I think it's a priority, if we were providing acts, equal access to education across our neighborhoods, then a lot of people, you know, if you get a quality education, you are more likely to have a higher paying job. If you're a higher paying job, you're more likely to be able to afford a house. Right. And so to me, like rent control just like smacks of like, let's, let's address this, like the effect of the problem that the rise in prices of houses to purchase or rent, um, generally speaking, it's like a good thing is a sign of like economic prosperity that like more and more people like the market is driving prices up because more and more people can afford it. The problem, as we both said, is that who can afford it? Not necessarily people that have traditionally grown up in Boston, not necessarily people like of color. And, uh, but to me, like those are other issues to address. And that can be, again, they're long-term Potential solutions, but uh, rent control that doesn't that doesn't seem to me like a a good or feasible way to address this problem.
0: Yeah, it is. I guess the the job of a mayor or really any elected official is in part, you know, how do we continue to sail the boat but fix while while we fix it? Um, I think it probably bears mentioning that another historical driver of of sort of the lack of home ownership um, within the city's lines is is was you know historical policy driven some of it in on paper uh, in in law and some of it you know through redlining or historical lending practices that charge higher interest rates for minorities or flat out denied them loans and you know over the last ten years what we've seen interest rates go to kind of rock bottom levels, you know, part of it being an education piece, what, what is, what becomes affordable, what the, you know, what kind of incentives you can get from the city, what kind of, um, you know, additional financial assistance you can get. Not everybody is going to be aware of those things. And for many people whose families had always rented, you know, the idea of buying a home was never really within the realm of possibility. And so even though a lot of these city programs came in without having any, you know, real knowledge of them, they couldn't take advantage of them. And so now they're being priced out. But I think that, you know, that it is probably, you know, as as well as it is good as you did to acknowledge that rent control is not going to solve this problem, it's probably also worth just acknowledging kind of the disappointment that you know, one of the biggest ways that American families build wealth is through building equity in their homes. And so many people who lived in the parts of Boston that are now getting like, you know, what, what we call nice in part, that's gentrification. And that, that you know, there might not be that there might be some racial undertones that to what I'm saying there, but in other, re, in other ways, like a lot lower crime rate, a lot, uh, nicer green spaces, better maintained roads, like these neighborhoods that the people sort of suffered through when they were at their worst are now at a point where, you know, houses are selling for whatever they're selling for, like, you know, 10, 10x what they were worth 20 years ago. And now they can't take advantage because they didn't, they don't own the property. And that it, that that is sad. And something I guess we have to grapple with as a city. Um, and the question is, is how. And it, it, I think on in this regard advancing um advancing policies that really push for first time home ownership um and ways that the city can support uh through financing or through loan guarantees or however else um for me is is really something that I'm looking for so I would probably tilt towards the side of Georgia on this one um, but a similar question, I think, uh, will take us into the transportation topic. Unless uh, you had- if, he, if you weren't <laughs>
2: going to make that transition, I was going to, because there's so many similarities.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, it's a huge one, right? Like, so why is the city of Boston? Uh, you know, why within the city limits are we really seeing this explosion in the housing market? And a huge part of that is that it is impossible to drive into the city, <laughs> It just takes forever to go from one place to another. So, if you like city things, you might as well try and live in the city.
2: Right. And right. so, yeah. transportation, mm-hmm. unfortunately, and we've talked about this on previous episodes, mm-hmm. is one of those issues that everyone acknowledges is a problem and no one can really figure out how to solve it. And so, we can like sit here and again acknowledge that like this is really difficult. Any criticism of of Georgia Wu is just to also like underlie that. Clearly, this is not an easy problem to solve because Walsh didn't solve it, Manita didn't solve it, Baker at, at the you know at the state level is not solving it. So this is not uh, obviously an easy issue. Uh, the big difference between the two of them is that Wu has floated potentially making the tea free, um, so like not charging fares for people who use buses and uh, trains here in Boston. Uh, Asabi George has pushed back on that. She's doesn't think that it's a feasible idea that the T would lose too much money, too much. I think if, without that lack of revenue, that you know, a system that's already struggles to run efficiently and effectively would be even more broken down and, and less able to provide quality service. And so, while Asabi George might be open to uh, you know a few free bus routes through Boston, um, she's you know as usual not willing to go as far as Michelle Wu would go in terms of trying to make much if not all of the tea free for everyone
0: yeah and this is where i think i i can get a few of my progressive bona fides i i'm totally in support of a a free mbta proposal um i i definitely have concerns about how it could work financially and how we support the the funding of it but um and I think we did a little bit of an episode where I went on a transportation rant, but I'm, I'm just a huge believer that, uh, everybody on the tree is on the T is one less body in a car. Um, and so that benefits both drivers and riders, pollution within the city limits. Um, and, and we'll really talks about it as a equity sort of, you know, a, a, a big, um, push for, you know, as as part of her plan to advance racial equity within the city, but also um, to just make this city in general a more equitable place is to allow for that more free movement of people through a a free transportation system. I think certainly people who have questions about that will say, A, the T barely runs, as it is, it's got a lot of problems, you make it free, you know, what's the incentive to improve it? Um, And I think that I think that that that's a fair criticism. And, you know, something that I will want to dig deeper, more into, but I'm all for creating fewer barriers for people to use the tea, um, and creating that a bigger gap between, you know, what it costs, uh, in terms of dollars and time to drive and what it costs in terms of dollars and time to ride the T and right now we don't have incentives in the right place for people to ride the T as much as they should. I mean, I'm a huge offender of that. Well, where I live in South Boston, I don't really have good access, but on top of it, you know, the thought of spending a hundred, $150 a month on a T pass when uh, every time I get on the T to go two miles, it's going to take me an hour and a half. Like it, that, that math isn't working out for me, but making it free and, and, you know, somehow increasing, which is like two things in opposite directions, but increasing the service, um, and reliability, I think would go a huge way to making the city a more livable space.
2: Yeah. I don't disagree with much of what you said there. I, you brought up a lot of good points that we want more people to use public transportation for environmental reasons and that we know that a lot of people that depend on uh, public transportation now, they're the same communities that we're talking about that cannot afford to like buy their own houses and they're spending uh, you know, probably too much money on public transportation relative to the wages that they are making, right? And that's another one of those things that, like, systemically keeps people in cycles of poverty and unable, you know, continuing to rent. And, you know, we see how all these issues are tied together, you know, because you don't have good education, you you can't get a great job because you can't get a great job, you're not making a lot of money, you're paying too much for public transportation, so you have to keep renting, you can't buy a house, right? That's why, I mean, politics and, like, governance is really difficult because all of these issues are are super intertwined. Um, I agree. I would love to see a better transportation system here in Boston and uh, while I don't think it's feasible to make the T the free for everyone. Uh, there was a bus route just this past year that they've been doing a study from, I, I believe it's in Mattapan or Nubian square, not a hundred percent on that uh, where they decided to make this one bus route free. And they're studying like the effects like, do is that increasing ridership? Uh, you know, what, what are some of the effects of that is that delaying times or are times still the same? And I'm in favor of stuff like that. I think the more data you can collect in uh, like the, the more innovative you can be to try to solve this issue. Great. Uh, so I think in that sense that while the George is probably more realistic in terms of like deciding next year to make the tea free for everyone does not seem like a, a good plan for like the city. I, uh, I do think that, I, I like Wu's vision and her, her 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 desire to really innovate here and try something different. Understanding that this has been an intractable problem for far too long, and that like if we want to push Boston to be more of a, a green city, an equitable city for everyone, then this a transportation is a major issue that we have to solve. So I, I appreciate and applaud her vision uh, around this area.
0: Yeah, and you know, connecting it back to the housing question that we had: if you make more parts of the city accessible to more other parts of the city and potentially towns adjacent to the city, all of a sudden you relieve some of the pressure to live in certain areas that are highly accessible um, by car, you know, maybe they're close enough that you can ride a, a bike to where you need to go. Public transportation kind of widens that net of where people can live. And it's a way to sort of increase the housing stock without building more housing in sort of a shorter period of time, which, you know, as, as we're, as we're seeing all of these things being connected um, could potentially help, you know, relieve some of that pressure um, on the housing as well. Um, I think one of maybe the, the last topics I wanted to touch on um, is the idea of police reform. And maybe we can do this in connection to the situation um at mass and Cass.
2: sure so police reform is one of those areas where the candidates do differ uh pretty substantially and as ricky you've you noted throughout uh they're similar on a lot of issues like we're, we're kind of tied like shades of gray here on some issues but on some of these other issues like housing and, and police there are substantial differences between the two so uh Michelle, Wu, like as as we've said repeatedly, is more progressive. Um, she's advocated for more of, like a public health approach uh, to replace work done by police officers. For have, for example, having more like mental health counselors respond to crisis situations. Uh, and there's obviously been a big push nationally in, in in parts of Boston to quote unquote defund the police, which we've talked about at length. But essentially, it just means like re- reallocating some police dollars to uh, to other services, um, particularly like mental health, those type of like counseling services. And Wu is well, maybe without saying that phrase intelligently, um, more on that train. Um, Asabi George on the other hand has consistently like rejected calls to reallocate any of the police funding. She's actually kind of come down on the opposite side and say like the way to make things uh, more safe for everybody is to hire more police officers. Uh, while she is also in favor of adding more like mental health officers, um, to be police stations and responding in police situations, those are kind of in addition to adding the additional officers. So she would, in some sense, definitely not cut the budget, maybe even increase the budget in some ways for police officers. So there are two very different approaches to public safety. We kind of talked about it a little bit when we talked about the New York mayoral race and um, uh, how Er Ernie Adams, Eric Adams, Eric. uh, Eric Adams, yeah, is, was more of, kind of rejecting all of the, this narrative to defund the police and pushing for more more police uh, presence in, in places. So uh, again, it, it's just an interesting difference between the two of them. Yeah, and,
0: and, and I guess building off that, just like the, you know, Asabi George still saying she believes in police reform. And I, I think we had a task force here in Boston kind of studying uh, the police and thinking about uh, a, a set of recommendations to uh, implement to, re- to reform it, increase the, tra- uh, the transparency in how um, the police department works and, and also, you know, some changes in who would be called for what types of incidents. Right. Um, whereas I, I think we was again, setting herself apart as, as you noted um, in really looking at how can we remove some of the responsibilities from, the police department and put them, um, in other places, which, you know, for, for lack of a better term is, is another way to, to defund, um, to defund the police. I think one of the, um, areas here in Boston that, that people sort of point to, um, as kind of a problem area and and one that one that the city has really just not been able to adequately address. Well, I guess there are two problems. One, we had a um, s- sort of a, a access to a place where um, many homeless people could go overnight for shelter. I think it's called Long Island, but I might be screwing that up. Do you know what, do you know what I'm referring to?
2: Yeah, it is called Long Island. So it's called the, Long Island. The famous Long Island is out in New York, but there's a long, also a Long Island out in Boston Harbor, too.
0: Yes, which there used to be transportation to, but they condemned a bridge that went over there and essentially effectively shut off access to this, this area, this, this homeless shelter, this like sort of broad homeless shelter kind of network. Um, Of course, you know, there are tons of there, you know, many things wrong with like really dealing with our homeless population by just isolating them in a place where nobody could see them. Um, So effectively not really dealing with it. um, But at least, you know, it wasn't visible. So people didn't really know about it, which I I said, at least that's probably not the right word. But um, what has happened as a result of that is now near a major methadone clinic, we've basically got uh, a homeless encampment along uh, the intersection of Massachusetts Avenue and Melnia Cass. So people will call that mass and cast. And the problem has been that, that, you know, this is an area of significant homelessness, but also it's homelessness tied to mental illness. It's homelessness tied to drug addiction. Um, and the sort of approaches to solving it, um, I think are slightly different. Um, but in terms of what you talked about in terms of priorities, this is something that Acai George has really put kind of near the top of her list to tackle. Um, whereas I think, you know, from Wu's standpoint, her top issues are going to be housing affordability, climate change. Um, a lot of sort of the national uh, green and left party priorities are more going to fit in with what Wu, the vision, as you said, that Wu is going to try and impart, um, whereas Asai B. George is looking at, at some of these very particular issues.
2: Yeah, and I think that's kind of a good place to to wrap this differentiating between the candidates because along those lines, mm-hmm. if you look at like the plans around climate change and the environment on the two websites, Michelle Wu's is incredibly long, detailed. She's put forth what you know she dubs like the Boston Green New Deal, which is in line with the Presley-Cortez, uh, Ocasio-Cortez and, and Markey plan that has been put, put forth nationally. And that's a section where she believes like that's that should be the priority of of Boston being a a major city and a city that's um, a leader in generally innovative progressive politics and is certainly a city that would be is being drastically affected by climate change. Uh that's a big priority for her. And asabi George hits her in the debates and hits her in uh an ads and says, look, I've been going door to door and what are people concerned about? Not climate change. They're concerned about the, the drug addicts and the people with mental health illness that are now like wandering down their streets at all hours of the day, you know, in, in, in their neighborhoods and around their children. As they're driving to work, we have this homeless encampment here. It's it's really a terrible, despicable situation. Um and for Sabi Georgia, yeah, she's to your point mentioned that one of her priorities would be to build that bridge back over to Long, Long Island to increase access to that facility. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's just a it's a difference in priorities. Like all of these things are our issues, important issues. Uh, and I think one of the main difference in the candidates is just how they prioritize those issues. And it's, it'll be determined in a few days, like what, how, what voters prioritize, because that's really a difference. You're getting two progressive candidates, two women, um, two people of color, daughters of immigrants. Uh, like you're getting people that fit a lot of the same mold in, in really good ways. And so what are you looking for? Are you looking for a more progressive kind of more national version of politics here in Boston? Or are you looking for, you know, maybe a more moderate, more, traditionally boston approach and that's we shall see
0: yeah and i think that is a, a question that voters will have to answer for them for themselves and uh yeah we look forward to, to seeing how it turns out
2: we should say that woo is the overwhelming favorite uh the the polls that have come out in the last couple of weeks have, have woo up almost 30 percentage points something like the 60 to 30 range so i mean we've we've certainly seen polls be wrong before uh and, you know, you, you never really know who they're polling or like, the more moderate or the Republicans that actually live in Boston. Like, are they going to come out for Osabi George? I think it, it is certainly funny in some ways and, you know, kind of sad in other ways. Like, if you drive around different parts of Boston and I spend a lot of my time in Dorchester and East Boston and South Boston, and it seems like he says, Osabi George is going to run away with this. But if you spend time in other parts of the city, other parts of Dorchester, Mattapan and Roxbury and rosendale uh, JP, right, you'll see uh, – Think that that that's where Wu's going to draw her strength, and so I mean, as as people that are into this, I think it'll be really fun to to watch over these next uh, over the next week. We'll see what happens. All right. Did you vote? Did you vote yet?
0: I haven't put my ballot in the uh, in the mailbox yet.
2: Oh, mail in. Boo boo. Go vote, person. Show some ID. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my real, you know, I could do that. Uh, I guess whatever. If this, this is basically if anybody at this point, this is basically just for people living in Boston. But uh, in addition to to the mayoral race, there's the Boston City Council race, and the first, and so that you got to vote on that. There are some interesting candidates for that. But um, there's also a ballot question uh, expanding the power of the City Council at the expense of the mayor, allowing the City Council to like kind of make and approve their own budget. In addition to just being able to like tweak, amend the mayor's budget. So uh, I thought that was a really interesting ballot question too.
0: Yeah. Um, I probably should have looked at what else is on ballot, but th- that definitely is more of a, like a, a broader struggle nationally in terms of just the concentration of power and where we want yeah. it. Um, yeah. And well, yeah, certainly going to be interesting to see uh, how that plays out here in Boston.
2: Yeah. So we'll see how it all happens, but either way, it's going to be an historic election and, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be a good day for Boston, no matter what happens. I I, I, I think people probably already know this, but I, I already voted in person uh, last weekend and voted for Asabi George. And so I'm certainly rooting for her, but um, whichever of these two women win, I think it'll be a, a good day for Boston. So um, I think that that's a good thing. We noted that back in April, right? Like these were all really good qualified, intelligent candidates and, while I tend to agree with one submission more than the other, uh, I can acknowledge that Michelle Wu would probably do a lot of good for Boston. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll, uh, we'll see how it shakes out on Tuesday. Till then, see you then.
1: We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet, talking heads running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were some mornings left your ego bruised but what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find In a case of lion's head folks of different minds Because even though we did not share The opinions we share On that American idea, Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way But to those who would die upon that hill, quiet truth is better than a ram. Somewhere along the line, we seem to have forgotten. The value sometimes being wrong. Some mornings you away, some mornings let your ego bruise, but what I wouldn't give Oh, I used to find in a occasion lion's head And folks of different minds Because though we didn't share opinions we share an American ideal Friends made all the arguments In an early morning bus I need an early morning bus There's hope behind the bluster Cause though Main Street may not sell Full of force, just like you and me. And when we have trouble seeing the human for the politics, it's trying to find a better way to disagree. Some days you win, some days you'll leave your ego through. But, well, I wouldn't give For Oh, I used to find and chase the lies here. Folks of different mind because though we did not share opinions, we share that American ideal. Friends made all arguments and an early morning buzz. Oh, what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of Lions Head. Folks of different minds because though we did not share opinions, we share that American ideal friends made of arguments in an early morning buzz I need an early morning
0: buzz